The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. P Nate, Elder P, Apprentice Jordan, in the house. Um, <laughs> what happened to Air Jordan? Yeah, I, Air, no Air Air Jordan. Jordan. I couldn't yeah. remember what we called him. Yeah. So I was like, I've been calling him the Apprentice. This for is like part, this two is part weeks. of the problem that you give nicknames to everybody, and if you can't remember, it, you just give them another nickname, and then you're actually confusing their identity, and they don't know whether to identify as Air Jordan or the Apprentice. Hey, who am I? You're creating. I'm not creating. I'm, I'm actually testing. It's. it's, <laughs> nice. it's, it's I, I like where you went with that because like everybody should identify with Christ, not with with their uh, nicknames, and so I'm just trying to mess with their heads, and then the real people. Are like my identity is a co-heir with Christ. Wow! And I'm Je- like Jesus juke. I was just already just like, yeah. like pastored. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus juked in the first minute of podcasting. Wow! <laughs> Forty-seven seconds in. Yeah. I'm like too serious. That's the only thing I'm saying the whole episode. <laughs> um, all right, we are the Rebels, and we are on uh, the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Uh, we are partnered with all those guys. Go download the app. It's the best place to get all the content. Aaron Rock just came out with a great episode as they uh, are starting to bring mask mandates back to Ontario. Do you see this? Essex County now, mask mandates back at uh, all indoor gatherings and stuff like this. Seriously? Yeah, for real. Where is Essex County? Just so like... Windsor. Windsor. So right above Detroit for all of our American listeners. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So they have to wear masks again starting when? Indoors. Uh, I think it's next Tuesday, I, I believe. I When I read the article, it was Tuesday, but I read the article yesterday. So it was either two days ago or it was... you it's know clearly an emergency. Yeah. yeah. Clearly, this gets me agitated, even though it doesn't affect me in any way, shape, or form. Because, like, even if they put the mask mandate back in, I'm not going to do it. So, like, well, it was funny. I actually had ended up having a conversation with Colleen about this, where I was like, "There's part of me that actually kind of wants mandates to come back." And here, my reasoning for this: I've had lots of conversations now with pastors and with Christians who are like, "Enough's enough," right? But we've heard that before, and it never translated to anything. Like, I think. God in his grace and in his mercy is giving more and more people an opportunity to work through this stuff. When the pandemic hit, I think what happened was a lot of churches and pastors and elders got stuck not having done their homework on separation of church and state, sphere sovereignty, all that kind of stuff. And so now you've had two years to figure this theology out. Now what are you going to do, right? So it would just be interesting. And I say that hoping that God's giving more and more churches opportunity for repentance and faith and, and correction and all that. Everybody in our parking ministry at our church is like, don't say that, Nate. Don't don't say that. We're only clinging by as it is. Yeah, Um, yeah, seriously. If that does happen, like if churches react how they reacted before, like there's going to be like seven churches in Ontario with like 2,000 people each. Yeah, I know. Which for Canada is a lot of people. Um, (laughs) All our American listeners are like, oh, they shrunk? Like, is that your your early morning service? Well, it's interesting because even people that I know from my old church, they have expressed an unwillingness to comply again. Again, That's the thing. It's like, okay, we did this. We submitted. 
But if it comes around again, man, you're going to see, I think, some massive turnover at churches. Because I think a lot of people are just, they're done. Right. And if yeah. this happens again, I don't know if our building can handle that. There was a CTV article that came out of Toronto, and, and it was basically, do you think that the government should reinstitute mask mandates? And it was interesting. The poll was going to close on like a Friday at noon. And there was, I want to say, I'm, I'm making up these numbers, but just to give you an idea, because I don't remember the exact numbers, but let's just say there was like 4,000 responses, votes on this poll. And it was like 85% didn't want mask mandates to come back. And so this poll was up for two days, 48 hours. And then Friday, two hours before the poll closed, it all of a sudden, like Joe Biden votes coming in in the middle of the night, all of a sudden there was 12,000 some odd votes and it was 70% yes. And I was like, are you serious? Like, I'm picturing like and there's, some, there's some people on Twitter who screenshotted this. They can see that like, you know, in one hour, 8,000 votes came in. You know that meme with James Franco where he's got the noose around his neck and he's like, first time to the other person? And I'm picturing like all the all of our American listeners just being like, oh, first time that's up. like some polls been like shaded with the, yeah. With yeah, the Democratic right. like well, even dead in, vote. Was it the Arizona, was it the gubernatorial? Did yes, say that's that? right. Yeah. If you look at the end results or maybe this picture was doctored, I doubt it is, but more people voted for, I think it was like the treasurer than yes. the actual governor yeah. than like Carrie Lake. So like makes no sense, yes. right? Crazy. But, yeah. Oh, life. Um, oh, life. Really, we're just delaying getting into our topic because we feel like this is the one that we're going to get put back in Facebook jail or something for. Last week, we fired some shots over the bow. We got some feedback. We're in this little mini series about paradigm shifts in faith. And last week, we talked about how complementarianism isn't enough, that we were advocating for biblical patriarchy. Just because of the stage of life, you got three guys here who are trying to take seriously what it means to lead our wives and lead in our homes and lead in our culture and to be culture makers. But we didn't even get around to kind of talking about what that looks like in the church. And quite frankly, I feel like this is actually going to be a bit of a um, let's poke some idols in the eye kind of episode because we're going to talk now about the same paradigm shift from kind of complementarianism to patriarchy. But what does biblical patriarchy look like in the church? We're going to talk about that episode a little bit. By way of easing into it, I did want to say, I saw a movie this week, and I don't often watch movies, so I wanted to see if you guys have seen this movie, because I actually thought this was great. I watched a movie, new movie, made in the last year or two, with no trace of wokeism in it. It was great. The new Top Gun. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, dude, you got to see it. I haven't it's, seen it. It's really good. My missus detests the theater. Well, you so rent, like you rent it now, right? You can rent is it, it is now. It yeah, yeah, right yeah, now? yeah, you can oh, rent okay. it. You can just get it on Prime or whatever. I, Maybe I'll watch it. I, I, I actually just want to buy it just to give them my money. Just yeah. to be like, make more of this. Yeah, like, totally. I, I don't go really buy movies. It was a phenomenal movie. Like, start to finish, I was entertained. It was good. The characters were compelling. The storyline was compelling. It was action-packed. It was amazing. And here's the thing. This is why I can bring this in. Because Tom Cruise, we all know, you know, personal life, Scientologist. He's a bit of a weirdo. But... How cool is it that Tom Cruise does his own stunts and in that movie actually did his own flying? Like, dude can actually fly an F-14, an F-18. Like, he could, like, talk about a man, <laughs> right? Like, he immediately, I don't care if he's five foot four or whatever he is. Like, you know, dude can fly an F-18 
he's got respect for me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's pretty sick. I'm actually like a closet Tom Cruise fan. We went through one time just thinking of all the movies that Tom Cruise is in that we like, like love. Yeah. Like, and now I'm going to say a whole bunch of movies and then I can't remember if they have like bad language or anything. So don't take, because I watched these a long time ago, but like Days of Thunder, amazing. Yep. War of the Worlds, amazing. Yep. Collateral, amazing. Like, Collateral is amazing. Collateral so you could talk Minority about for Report. a long time. Minority Report. Minority amazing. Report was great. Like, yeah. 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 So many. Even the Jack Reacher movies. stuff is like, you know what? In terms of action movies, Jack Reacher stuff's great. I mean, Mission Impossible's, they're great. He was a terrible choice for the character. Like, yes. actually, but yeah. setting that aside, yeah. they were great movies. I yeah. actually really enjoyed the movies. Yeah. yeah. The original Top Gun, we didn't even mention that one. Oh, so good. Yeah. So good. So, anyway, this one's great. And you can see that, like, so um, I should watch this. You should watch this yes. 100%. So you talk about, you watch it, and then we'll come back and we'll get your perspective on it. The, the last movie I saw, so just to put this in preference of how like out of the blue this would be to, for me to watch this. The last new movie I saw was the newest Star Wars movie. Oh. That was, was what, like four years ago? Yeah. What was that? The Rise, Rise of, of Skywalker? Yeah. So that would be the last movies, yeah. movie I saw that the, was made. Recently. There would be a lot less woke stuff in Maverick than there would, would have been in that one because that was brutal. Yeah, that is brutal. Unless yeah. Endgame came out after that. But like, I don't know. Endgame. Marvel. Yes. Yeah. I, I, saw I, that. I didn't even see all the, I didn't see the conclusion of the Marvel stuff. Yeah. Never missed anything. Yeah. It's bad. It's really bad. Now. I haven't seen the uh, one movie that I did want to see. Somebody said it was good. Was the newest Batman movie? I didn't see that. Awesome. But oh, I, heard, I did see I that. I did see that. Okay, I loved did it. See that. Yeah. Now you're now you're remembering all this. Oh yeah, I did see that. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, oh yeah, and I also, yeah. Uh, so I haven't seen that, but I heard it was it was quite good. So when when I thought through like another Joker, like obviously they have to do the Joker again, but like when Heath Ledger died, you're just kind of like, is anybody going to do the Joker like that again? Cause he was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But I, anyway, I hear, I hear the Batman is very, very great. Good. It was super dark. Yeah. Um, but there is like a few woke things in it. Like minor, um, it was little, it was like one minor, like scene that was like, yeah. why did you didn't even have to add yeah. that line? Like, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So, and this, this, here's my segue. You guys are going to be like, Oh, that's what he was doing with this is like, the thing that I liked about Maverick is there, there wasn't the wokeism in it. You have Miles Teller is sort of, you know, you, you, I think you know the storyline. I'm not spoiling anything. Is Goose's son, yeah. right? So the whole, the whole thing is like, you know, Maverick is to go back to Top Gun, becomes the instructor of Goose's kid, right? They do have a female pilot in it. Women in combat, we can talk about sometime if we ever want to. You know, that aside, you know, it seems like every movie that comes out, the reason I have no desire to see them is because like even the you, you mentioned the the newest trilogy is like I can't relate to Ray, right? The idea that there's this young, pretty girl who can beat up all the boys is just ridiculous. It's not the way God made the world. And there's a reason why the three of us in this room as young men identified with Luke Skywalker, wanted to be Luke Skywalker. And yet, and my son, right? He loves Anakin. He loves Luke. He loves Obi-Wan. But my daughter doesn't love Ray, And Judah doesn't love Ray either. They just can't get into these new series because that's just not how God made the world. And so... Where else, Pootie, is there a bunch of women running around doing things that God called men to do? Oh, there's a segue <laughs> for you. It's not bad, eh? The church. Oh, like, Pootie, you said it. That's I, not where I was going I do, with that. I do like <laughs> the fact that you found a way for me to be the one to drop that bomb. I wanted um, you to do that. But like, just remember that you're going to have to deal with the betrayal that Anakin does in the, and Judah's mind is going to be crushed at that betrayal. <laughs> he, he will, yes, when he, gets, so when he gets what's going on. Okay, so when we say complementarianism is not enough, I think that there's a whole lot of churches who would identify themselves as complementarian. And what they mean by that is they don't allow women to hold the office of elder or pastor. But 
when we're talking about paradigm shift to biblical patriarchy, we're talking about something way more than what it restricts women as to what it calls men to do. And so one of the things that I see in churches that would identify as complementarian, but would probably reject the idea of, of patriarchy, is the idea of, of hiring women in pastoral roles and just not calling them pastors, right? So director of worship ministry, director of children's ministry, director of whatever, and they'll call them a director rather than a pastor because they're a complementarian church, but functionally, they're still very egalitarian. And so in a lot of churches, what you end up having is you have women involved in nursery, women involved in Sunday school, leading and teaching all the way through. You generally have women, a lot of moms, involved in junior high. And it isn't until youth ministry when suddenly you get a quote-unquote pastor, and usually they hire a man-child to be the youth pastor. And so it isn't until the child is an adult and integrated into the regular life of the church that they see or interact with any men who are you know, role models for them in terms of what men are supposed to be like. And then you have a whole bunch of men and women who have grown up their entire lives learning from and submitting to the authority of only women. And so you're creating this culture where male leadership and biblical patriarchy are completely disregarded. So I dropped that. Go. <laughs> well, I, I, was, I would say it actually go, it goes even further, right? There's the young people looking up to um, men, but we've also created a culture in our churches. When I say our churches, I mean big C churches, where even though we restrict women's roles in terms of like eldership and stuff, there's still men on elders boards who can't make decisions. And so they go home and check with their wives. So the, really it's the woman that's who's the take. elder, not the men. And Jordan's sneaking out the back door. <laughs> don't, don't let him go. No. That's just the thing. And then you have pastors who make decisions based on, I don't want to upset the women in our church, which Ooh. means we, we don't preach through books like Titus. We don't preach through books like Timothy, even though you have thankfully, because we don't want to have the conversation about like, well, what does it look like to have a man rule church? And yeah. before any of the women start emailing, you know, Nate at Crossroads um, <laughs> about this, the failure here is on men. Yeah. Like, so like totally. the, the reason women are in these positions is because men aren't. Yeah. We're not saying the women aren't capable to do these jobs. We're saying it's shameful that we've let them do them because that means the men haven't stepped up to do these things. And that's the problem. That's what we're, I think, where the paradigm shift is, is that we just need men to be doing what men are called to do. And men were called to rule, yeah. not to follow. Like, even though, you know, I follow you, but like we're following men, you know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes sense. It's because hierarchies still exist, but they are patriarchal hierarchies, yeah. right? So you are called to submit to various men in your various spheres. Exactly. Like Hebrews 3 talks about Moses was the servant in the house of, house of the Lord and Jesus is the creator of the house and the Lord of the house. So there's there's hierarchy just displayed even, yeah. the, even amongst the men in scripture, right? So yeah, so... There's a zillion ways that we could go with this. And I guess let's start with pastors, right? Let's start at the top. And I do think there's something to it. You said something that I think is pretty profound there is that pastors are trying to manage, right, the reactions of the women in their congregations. And this is part of the reason why you'll have men who would consider themselves bold men from the pulpit who are willing to call men out for their pornography addiction, but not willing to call out women for their immodesty right? They're willing to call out the men for their lack of leadership, not willing to call out the women for trying to usurp the leadership of their husbands. We all believe here, we talk about this enough, I don't know if we need to talk about why we believe this, but we believe that the culture is the report card of the church, right? So in Ezekiel, you have the vision that Ezekiel receives is of the rivers that are flowing out of the temple and watering the earth. 
And so there's this idea that worship of God in the corporate gathering bleeds out into the culture and feeds the culture, either with the good and the true and the beautiful or not. So what's happening in the culture is you have all of these empowered women who get to set the narrative, even when it comes to like things like abortion, right? It's men don't have a voice there. Why? Because, you know, women are the ones who bear this. They're the ones who have the responsibility. And so men don't get a voice there. And that happens partially because in our pulpits, we have pastors who will preach on just about anything that calls men to something, but won't preach on things that will call women to something. I think that's a big problem. We see this every year, Mother's Day and Father's Day. What's the difference? The difference on Mother's Day, it's all very gentle and nice and like building women up, which is a great thing. Um, but then Father's Day, what is it? It's like heavy handed, like yeah, I hate all of you, like, you all yeah. suck. Point. <laughs> like, it's like one of those things where like, if we even acknowledge Father's Day, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when I say we're, I'm talking about obviously not specifically us, but we are afraid to tick off the wives. You know what yeah. I mean? Like two things cause people to leave churches. Bad youth ministry will cause people to just up a leave church. And if you take off Karen, like, uh, like. <laughs> nice. I, that's not where I thought you were going with that. You shocked me. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's so. fair. Um, so, uh, okay. So let's, let's, <laughs> let's tease this out a little bit. Sorry for an actual Karen. Out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. you're in our church. Yeah. yeah. If your name is actually Karen. Yeah. So let's tease this out a little bit. So, if it starts with pastors who aren't willing to say hard things to women because he doesn't want to tick off the females in his church, where does that fear come from? What's he worried about there? I think it all stems from putting their, their eyes on the wrong prize, right? We talked about a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember what episode, but we did talk about the, there's many people who are in the pulpit thinking career, not calling. And so mm. it's like men who are tied to like, I can't, I can't shut down my church because I'm going to lose my tithe, which is my benefits, which is my, how I, and so like, it actually comes from a, a place of actually wanting to provide for their families, but not realizing who's the supplier of the career rather than trusting in God's sovereignty to continue to bless. And, and so you fulfill. think it's fear, like it's fragility essentially, yes. right? It's that, yeah, that's, and, and that's and, fair. And I remember when I was getting into ministry, one thing you said to me that like is both cutting, but also something I keep in my mind is that the pulpit is no place for an insecure man. Yeah. Because one, there's enough insecurities that come just from people like the attacks that come. But if you have fear of like losing your job, being let go, being spoken poorly of exactly, you're going to naturally shy away. And it's funny when we think about pastors, like even churches that preach through the text exegetically, like we do, pastors still have to choose what book to preach to. So a, yep. a good test on this was when was the last time your church preached through Titus? Yeah. When was the last time your, your pastor actually picked a, First a book that has the doctrines about right. homosexuality, the doctrines about or gender. is it all Esther and Ruth? <laughs> no, I'm just They're there too, right? So by no means are we trying to discourage women. What we're trying to do is say that I actually think this is a result of the fall and I just don't think women hear this enough, whether it's from the pulpit or in Christian media or in Christian literature. In Genesis, you have the reality that Satan tricked Eve first, and she sinned before Adam sinned, and yet God calls Adam first to account for the sin. Why? Because Adam is meant to lead his home. And actually, all of the instruction that we get, including what to do with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that command is given from God to Adam before Eve is actually created, which means it was Adam's job to convey the instructions of God concerning the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to Eve. And even in her sort of, you know, we shall not even touch it, 
well, that wasn't part of God's command, right? Which either means one of two things. Either Adam added something, like a Pharisee, a sort of fence around the law here, to restrict Eve from possibly, you know, doing something wrong, or he failed in communicating it to her to a point where she had internalized it and understood God's restrictions. So we see that she's already twisted it. Satan tempts her. She sins. She leads her husband into sin as opposed to him being there ready to stop Satan from tricking his wife and leading her into uh, sin. So he follows her. But it's interesting. So then God comes down and calls on Adam first to account for the sin. But in verse 16 of chapter 3, in the fall, he says to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And part of this is, I think, because pastors maybe shy away from these kinds of verses who are expounding them, you would have a whole lot of non-literate readers of the Bible not recognizing your desire should be for your husband. Sounds like a good thing, right? Oh, I'll want my husband, right? Like I'll want him sexually. I'll want him, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll want to be with him. But that's not what it's talking about because in the very next chapter when God is talking to Cain, he's talking to him about sin crouching at his door and he says, its desire is for you. It's the exact same phrase here. And what is sin's desire for us? It's to overcome, it's to overtake, it's to dominate us. And so what God is saying to Eve is part of the curse of sin is that your desire will be to dominate your husband. So because of the fall, husbands are going to shrink back from work and shrink back from their responsibilities to lead. And women are actually going to be assertive and try to take those responsibilities to lead. So if you have a church that's not guarding against this sin, and I think any good church is guarding itself against sin, right? It's guarding itself against sexual immorality. It's, it has you know, accountability in terms of what the pastor is doing and who he's counseling and when he's with people and all that kind of stuff. Like those, those are good things. We're all sinful and we all have the capacity to sin grievously. And so churches ought to be on guard against allowing sin to come in and infiltrate and ruin what God's doing. But if a church isn't on guard against the sin of women dominating and taking the roles of men, then it's going to happen, right? Just in the same way. I remember, it's interesting, you think back, uh, uh, what's it called? The Billy Graham rule, right? That idea Billy Graham was never alone with a, another woman, right? And I remember there was a big thing on social media about the whole Billy Graham rule. I can't remember how it came out, but um, I remember Bruxy Cavey came out and said, that's stupid, that's ridiculous, and actually kind of mocked Billy Graham for it. And isn't it interesting that a couple years later, what comes out is all of Bruxy Cavey's sexual indiscretions. Well, why is that? Why does somebody shy away from accountability in a particular area? Well, because they're prone to sin in that particular area. So my point there is that a church that's not guarding against women trying to take over and take on the roles of men, even in a quote-unquote complementarian church, a woman will know, okay, I can't get on the elders board, I can't become a pastor, but their sinful heart will lead them to want to exercise and find authority in certain ways. So where do they gravitate? Some of them, out of the sinful desires in their own heart, will gravitate towards leadership over women's ministries or being able to manipulate their husbands who are in leadership roles in other ways. It's interesting when you see one of the first qualities that's characteristics that's necessary for the qualifications of elders. It's actually he who seeks the office of elder seeks a noble calling, right? Seeking it, wanting it, desiring to be an elder, desiring to be in leadership is actually one of the first qualifications. 
And yet what happens more often than not in most churches, they come up with a list of names of guys to ask. Most of them say no. Finally, somebody says yes. And I would just say, because that's how we pick elders, sometimes most guys are going to go home and say, oh, I was asked to be an elder. And so what ends up happening? A bunch of people say no. A bunch of people say no because they don't see the, the task as a noble one or they don't think it's worth their time. And then what happens? Somewhere along the way, a wife says, you should do that. And I'm not saying it's all the time, but I'm just saying maybe, maybe that's the sin of the fall rearing its ugly head in the heart of a woman who wants her husband to have the power because it's the power she secretly craves. And so then you have a complementarian church with men on the elders board whose wives are leading from the shadows. And so I think that's how it ends up happening. Well, and how many marriages, Christian marriages, can you think of where most people would say, well, she wears the pants in that relationship, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. And so when you see even like elders and pastors in churches where same thing, right? She wears the pants. Yep. Well, it's not surprising then when you get to the pulpit where you don't correct sin in your wife's life. That's right. You're going to then be predisposed to not be correcting the feeling sin, that yeah. you should correct the sin in the other wives in the church because you yourself aren't doing it. And again, that stems from the whole self-rule and ruling in your own home, yep. which then has implications in the church because you have men who aren't loving their wife enough to call their sin. And sadly, it's the fall where then a lot of women are saying, well, if you want to have sex, you're going to do what I tell you to do. Whether yep. they say yeah. those words or not, that's like functionally how the relationship works. Right. So then men are like, well, yeah, I want sex. So I'll just do whatever you tell me to do. And then we have this whole reverse thing where men aren't actually doing what they're called to do because they want this thing that God has said it's a good thing for him to do. And then their wife is just holding them captive, captive by, by it. it. You see the impact of when you're not self-ruled, you're not ruling your home. Yeah, totally. That will necessarily impact yeah. the life of the church. Right. It's amazing. And just on a side note, we'll get off on a tangent in a little bit, but I think sex has more to do with this than I think most people realize. So you live in a culture where it's, I mean, this is it. This is whether it's Ray Romano or, you know, Doug Heffernan, right? In, in these sitcoms, you have these, these men who are kind of bumbling idiots who all they want is they, they want to trick their wives and lie to their wives so they can get as much guy time as they want, but they'll do anything to have sex with their wives and their wives aren't super interested because their husband's kind of an idiot. The reason it's funny in a lot of times is because it actually it mirrors reality. Like this is what's going on. And so in a proper Christian marriage, men are called to be assertive and to pursue and women are commanded to respond to their husband's pursuit and their husband's assertiveness. And so even the act of sex itself, right? The man goes into the woman, even the act itself shows initiative, shows assertiveness, shows leadership, and then it shows receptive, it shows following, right? And so even in that, it's showing a truth about how God made the world. But you'd have good Christian women who still are not responding to the sexual pursuit of their husbands. And don't get me wrong, a lot of husbands are doing it wrong, right? I don't know if we want to do a whole episode on that. We might have to put a rating limit on that one. But, but the point is, is, is you have women who are controlling the marriage bed. And in controlling the marriage bed, they're satiating the sinful desire in their heart for power. And when that happens, it bleeds into Christian marriages. And well, what, is, what do we always say the church is? The church is a household of households, which means it's, it's only ever going to be as strong as the households that comprise it. And so when this is happening in the home, it's happening in the church. Yeah. It's impossible to separate the household from the roles of the church because one of the, like, when you read off the qualifications of elders, one of the next ones is manages the household well. We, we right. always think of that in terms of like 
the details of the of the household, not necessarily the relationships of the household. Yeah. And yep. so like before you have a business being in leadership of the church, you have to have this properly ordered in, in your home. You should be worthy of respect and she should be respecting you choosing to submit to you, right? Like, because you're worthy of that thing. Therefore, you're worthy to rule in the, in the church. But we have a whole bunch of people in the church who, who don't have this right in the house. So they can't possibly play this out right in the, in the church. Right. And because it's not happening at the, at the home. So even when we were thinking about this episode, it's, it's so hard to separate what's happening in the house versus what's happening in the house of the Lord, because it's, it's all tied together. Intermingled. And that Um, is the qualification, right? And even that household management, we've lost the idea of what households are. Jordan is reading C.R. Wiley's Household and the War for the Cosmos right now, so this will be fresh in his mind as well. But the home, the household, used to be the place of commerce and education, business, welfare, retirement, all that stuff. And so when it says that a man must manage his household well, it's, it's all of those things. Is his business in the red or in the black? That's why it says thought well of by outsiders, those who utilize his business, would they speak well of him? Are his children in submission to him? Are they respectful of him? Are they joyfully participating in the business life of the family? Is his wife submissive, right? Is his wife that glorious woman who brings glory to her husband, like Proverbs 31 says, or is she somebody who slanders him? Is she some? So it's all of these things. And so you're right. You can't separate them. But I do want to talk a little bit more about, so what's the solution? So right now we've been, we've been moaning a little bit about what the reality is. What are some of the solutions? You know, full disclosure at our church, we actually don't have children's ministry. We believe in family integrated worship. So there's not like a kid's Sunday school that runs parallel. And part of the reason for that is because we want to honor the way that God designed families. And that is every father, every husband. I don't want to just say father, because even families without kids are a full family, and the husband is the pastor of his home. And so it is his responsibility. And people often say to me, I just had somebody this week, I was was having breakfast the other day, and somebody said, do you think the kids who are like five, six, seven, eight, nine are getting anything out of the sermon? And my answer to that is, I actually think they're probably getting more out than we think. But at the end of the day, I don't care, because my job is to feed the sheep, my job is to preach uh, the word of God to the families of the church. And then it's actually the father's responsibility to distill that information and disciple his kids in light of it. So we often encourage parents, you know, ask your kids, fathers, ask your kids one thing that you learned from the sermon today, one thing that Pastor Nate said. And we've heard some pretty profound answers from five and six and seven year olds. So we don't have children's ministry. We do have nursery, we do have women's ministry, all that kind of stuff. Let's just talk through what we think the solution is to this problem that's in the church, and that is, we would just say, a lack of patriarchy, a lack of respect for male leadership. What does it look like in our churches? And just by way of reminder to everybody who is in our church listening, we're figuring this out as we go, yeah. right? We're like, a work in progress. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think we fully realize what this looks like because this is just something, it's a paradigm shift, right? But this is a recent one for yeah, all three is, of us. Yeah, this is, this um, is. We, so, I would say we were one of those churches that was were complementarian on paper. And then slowly, I think, as men who have tried to lead well and rule well, you start to realize how much the way we currently do church works against that. So I just say that to say there's still a lot that's being processed and talked about at a leadership level and prayed about at a leadership level and the scriptures are being searched and everything. So there's our small caveat in a very uh, no quarter November, non no quarter November way. Yeah. But keep going, Chris. I, I would say you brought up Genesis earlier. So I think that's actually the answer to this problem. 
we go back to what it was only man- preach on Genesis. Only preach on No, I think the mandate is as Adam was created to take dominion, and then Eve was created to help him in that endeavor. And when man and woman are working properly together, it is a helper type relationship, yeah. right? So like complement Com- yeah. his skills, right? I think the way this works out is that I, I don't actually think we should have women as the head of ministries in our church. I don't think we should have women as the focal point of any of the ministries in our church. Now, that bear in mind, there is that also avenue where it's like older women teach the younger yeah, women. Titus so like, yep. I'm not saying they have no role in any of these ministries. I think it comes down to headship. And so mm-hmm. like we have women who are helping a man administer the ministry of the church. So functionally, this is how I kind of picture this. I'm the ministry pastor at our church would be yep. kind of a way to put it. Ultimately, who's in charge of women's ministry or X ministry would be me and you. You can just in, say you. You don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, yeah. it would be us yeah. and the elders, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, but like I might use X woman in the church to administer a lot of the tasks of that because she's helping me administer. But ultimately it comes down to like, I'm the one steering what's being taught. I'm the one that's responsible. Okay. So you just said something really, really good there. But but Chris, (laughs) but Chris, are you saying that the elders of the church should choose the content of the teaching for women's ministry? I would say a properly functioning church doesn't just choose the content, they make their own content because you are responsible as our, you said it earlier, what is your role as the pastor of our church? To feed the sheep and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I don't actually think we should be necessarily using other people's content to do that because who can speak into our church better than you? Nobody. Our elders are the people who have been called to lead our right. lead our church. Now, this all gets us back to the "Are we a cult?" episode. No outside content. I have noticed ever. that Jordan has, has, has slowly crept farther and farther away from me. So, no, just like, this is uh, fun, boys. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's my membership. No, I, I, I think I think, but that I think should be the end goal right. for a lot of churches. And, and like, I'll turn the camera back on me. Every Sunday, we pick worship songs that I didn't write. Yeah. And I've some of them written by women. Exactly. So like at the end of the day, like I think this is something we should all be doing is creating our own content. And we might do that as like, cause we're not women as we administer the content for women's ministry, for instance, I, we're just using women's ministry as an example. We might bring in women to help us do that. You know what I mean? Right. But like, we're the ones that are responsible. Like Adam was responsible for the, yeah. for the sin in the garden. We're the ones that God's going to call account for how we minister to our women. So can I just say something? Not that this episode hasn't already been ridiculously controversial. I'm sure we, I'm sure we just cut our church in half, which is great. The parking ministry will now thank us. <laughs> but so let me just get even a little bit more controversial here for just a second. There is a reason that God called men to lead. And it has to do with how he created men and women differently. And I would just say that you and I have seen when there is relational conflict in a ministry or in a church, men and women deal with conflict differently. Now, don't get me wrong, whether it's because of estrogen in the water or because of a feminist in the church in general, there's a whole bunch of men who don't act like men. But ultimately, the way men are to lead is, as we've already said, assertive, right, is to not allow emotions to cloud biblical judgment. And I think that that's just something that men and women are different at. Like, I remember I got into a bunch of trouble one time because I said, usually in the complementarian light churches, they'll say things like, God restricted the office of elder to men. And that doesn't mean that there wouldn't be great women who could be good pastors and could be good elders. 
I remember getting into trouble one time when I was just like, no, stop saying women would be make good pastors. They wouldn't. If they would, God would have made them pastors, but he didn't. And there's a reason for that. And I think it's because God created women as nurturers, as caregivers, as women who are supposed to be homeward focused, raising children focused, building a home, nesting, all that stuff is good and it's glorious. But if you take the way that a, a woman is supposed to raise a child and you deal with ministry in the church that way, then discipline would never happen. The right kind of church biblical discipline. Because oftentimes what happens even in the home, I believe, yes, of course, women are supposed to discipline their kids, but how often it's the husband's responsibility to come home and to bear the rod, right? A husband's responsibility is to be the primary disciplinarian in the home. And I would even just say, I'm with C.R. Wiley on this, is that I actually think one of the roles of husbands and fathers is to protect their children from the overprotective nature of the mother, right? And don't get me wrong, there's give and take here as well, because it is the wife's role to help the father relate emotionally to the children that he would maybe be too much like a general or a sergeant over. So this is the complementarian viewpoint, but we call it patriarchy because complementarianism as a function has just failed us. This is why fatherlessness in our society yeah. is such a danger, yeah. because you don't have the father figure to come in to balance the overprotection, overbearingness of the mother. Yeah. And it works the other way too. Like a single parent father family, the kid is only getting the stick. You know what I mean? He's never getting yeah. the the arm around the shoulder type thing, which is again, like we can play out the, like this yep. is why we would yep. be against homosexuals ad adopting children and stuff like that because they don't get what they're supposed to be getting from That's right. mother and father. When we play that out in the church, like you mentioned young men and all this like it's not till youth ministry that they actually get somebody who's an authority figure that's a male yeah which means like if they're not getting it at home they're not getting it in the church they're going to reject male authority Leadership, yeah even if they're a male that's right which is exactly been trained. what's happening in the culture which is why so many woke guys are swept up in a me too kind of movement i've talked to guys who are like well i don't have a say in that because i'm not a woman it's like are you serious but well, that's where it comes from. You said this on Sunday. It's it's a, it's one of your lines that you use a lot. It's it's we got <laughs> no, a good one or a bad. It's, one? it's tell a better story. Yeah. The reason that our young women grow up wanting to take yes. the authority of, of the man is because they don't see their actual role as good, glorious, God fulfilling, and like the presupposition that the Bible has there is that all of those things mothering, nurturing, yes. when you actually are doing it in the right order, that's actually going to make her more happy, yes. more joyous, more content, more satisfied. It's not like we're trying to hold them down. We're actually <laughs> trying to raise women up into yes. what God has ordained you to do, which is better than like, I could never do what a woman does. You mentioned earlier about like, we want to soften the compliment here and be like, oh, I think women can be great pastors. They're just not allowed. Right. Or it's like, no, no, they can't be good pastors because they're not allowed to be pastors. I can't be a good nurturing mother because nope. God does not ordain me to be that. You know right. what I mean? So I can't do what they're called to either. You know what Man, I mean? okay, preach it because I think this is actually the key. Like, I think the reason that Ray Skywalker or Palpatine, like, let's be honest, she's a Palpatine, but the reason Ray Palpatine is a character is because Hollywood doesn't know how to tell women what to be because all they think of is, oh, Luke's a great hero. Let's just make a female version of Luke. 
Well, no woman is going to be drawn to Ray except women who have been catechized by the culture to believe that that's what they're called to do and to be. So I think and, you're, and, you're right on, is, it, is tell the story of what a woman is supposed to be. So let's talk about that. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to also add, like, and we wonder why gender roles are so, yes. so at odds because we create characters that are women that are now held up as the ideal woman, which is actually just the man with boobs. Yeah. So, Wonder Woman is just a scantily clad Superman, right? Exactly, like like exactly. at the end of the day, they have their different lores or whatever, but that's it. Like that's, yeah. So, when, and then all of a sudden women can't be like that. So they have, they think, oh, I might, I might actually been created wrong. And it's like, well, no, no. Ooh, like, ooh. Well, it's interesting because I think I just saw something recently. It was a study that was looking at the use of antidepressants in like men versus women and the ages and you see it's like the number of women, I think it was like the demographic from like 25 to 40 was by orders of magnitude, the largest percentage of people who are using is women, 25 to 40 women. Mm. And so it's like, well, it's interesting how our culture is saying, hey, you women of that age, focus on your career, focus yes. on all these different things, because we've said that you have to be the worker, you have to go and have right. these goals and ambitions. But we're actually seeing that their own bodies are fighting against That's right. the natural yeah. bent, which is to raise children too. And like it was like the King's Hall guy said, it's like it's a shame that the world has robbed the women of the glory of creating an eternal soul within yes. them and raising and nurturing yeah. that eternal being. And like we've completely robbed them of that joy. That's right. And so what we've done, and I actually appreciate the King's Hall guys. So it's a good podcast you should listen to that we would affirm is the King's Hall podcast. Those guys are doing a great job. But one of the things that I thought, they just have great language for things, right? So when they were talking about how women going into the workforce is actually like your husband is pushing you into slavery, right? That this is, you are now a slave to the state, and the reason they call it state slavery is because there's this idea that now suddenly you're going to operate and live like you're a two income household, and then you're going to buy enough stuff and accumulate enough debt that you actually need that second income. So there's never going to be an opportunity fiscally for you to be able to go home and raise children. And that's what God has called you to do. And we would say like, look, we live in a broken world and we're, what we're not saying, because we know we have some listeners who are women who can't have kids because of sin and brokenness in the world. But what we would still say is invest in children, right? Like investing in children, not in, in a career. In all honesty, just to be completely transparent, Chris, I think Heather, your wife, does this really well, just in terms of like, she's like the Pied Piper at church on Sundays in terms of the kids following her around because she has not had the opportunity to experience that glory, but as a biblical woman who knows what she was made for, realizes that her role is now to invest in in others. She's a, a phenomenal blessing to my family and many other families in the church. So I just say that to say, like, we're not just beating it over your head saying, oh, you got to stay home and, and stay pregnant. But I would say that that is God's norm. What God wants men and women to do is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And in that task, there needs to be a focus outward because we are to take dominion of the world, to go out, to subdue it, to create things, right? To make civilizations and make businesses and engineer new products and to take the raw material of creation and, and make the world around us better. That's what men are called to do. And women are called to cultivate the next generation of men and women who will do that. 
And so there's an inward focus and an outward focus. You know, you could picture the family unit and like the husband is facing out to the world, represents the family to the world, protects the family from the world, goes into the world with the family values and takes the family values and brings them to bear on the world around them. Whereas the woman is taking those values and like a furnace, turning them inward to the family and creating a family full of people who can do that in the next generation. And we're saying like, that's glorious and that's beautiful. And even when we look at the church, right? So let's take the family and bring it back to the church. A woman's role within the church should reflect her God-given role at home. And so we, we don't say, oh, women can only do uh, nursery ministry. We're not saying that at all. But what we are saying is, how do you take and how do you equip and how do you train a generation of women to love that glorious calling that women have? You asked the question a little bit ago. So I've been sitting here thinking about like, as I said earlier, this is a work in progress for all of us, right? So uh, what does it look like? We're figuring it out. <laughs> you know? But I, I think our administrator, the relationship we have with our administrators, I think is kind of a picture of this. Our admin doesn't make, I want to be careful, doesn't make any executive decisions. It's always mm. like, I'm going to check with this person. Thank you for like, but she does a lot of the work. And it's like, because like, there's like this, the relationship of like, no, I'm not the, I'm not the DM. I'm not the decision maker here. I'm the assistant to the one who's working through the, and so like if we look at applying that hierarchy to all, all the ministries, mm -hmm. then maybe like perhaps I'll use worship as like, perhaps we yeah. don't have a woman as the focal point leading worship. And what that means, they're like, okay, well we pick all the songs cause they're teaching, but like we'll still have women sing the songs. Like right. so that's like, what I was going to say. I was going to play devil's advocate and say, but Chris, I am a woman whose gifting is to lead worship. What would you say to that? I would say, what do you mean by lead? Do you Good. mean like administer the, the sacrament kind of thing of, of, of that? Like where you're just singing the songs? Absolutely. You, every woman who sings at our church has a better voice than I do. But leading the service on was stage, not... On, on stage. On <laughs> stage. I've sat in front of a few people that I won't name here. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but I would say the men that we have in the positions of worship leader are all more gifted at doing the admin and the leader and the leading on the Sunday morning of the woman. Not that a woman can't tell people stand up and sit down and all that, all that stuff. But I, I'm saying like, because I think the lyrics we choose to sing is a form of teaching. I generally right. restrict the song selection, the leadership of the, of the actual people in the ministry to the man, because we were the ones that were created to lead. That's a very visible demonstration of leadership. I'll put it back on you. Like, we also don't let women missionaries come and speak at our church, no. even though we wouldn't call it a sermon. We wouldn't call it yeah. because there is a form of teaching that is public that people listen to this and say we're shying like way too conservative. But I'm like, I'd rather be way too conservative than way too liberal in this area. So that's a good point. Uh, yeah, no. And that's a good point. Like, again, that complementarian light is sort of like, well, if a missionary comes and shares, she can take the pulpit because she's not preaching. She's like, well, I actually think that the pulpit is for preaching so we wouldn't let a missionary come and tell stories for the whole uh, sermon time anyway but no we are to guard the pulpit and we are to uphold the pulpit as a place where teaching happens and it's impossible to get up whether you're telling a testimony or whatever and not teach through it so you might say oh man like what an oppressive church they come from no, no, no we have women who share their testimonies through testimony sharing or through when they get baptized all that kind of stuff but again what happens there is you're having somebody who's sharing their own experience, but when we do the baptism service, how the baptisms are worked into the sermon and the teaching time, all that kind of stuff is orchestrated by the men who are called to shepherd and to teach the church. It has nothing to do, again, with restricting women. It has everything to do with honoring the way that God created the world. 
And this is why egalitarian arguments fall apart is because every time in Scripture when you get Paul giving polity to the church, policies about how church should function, he relates back, whether the office of elder being restricted to men, pulpit and the teaching ministry being restricted to men, but women staying silent in church and learning and all submissiveness, all of those things are followed by him reminding people of the creation mandate. It always comes back to, and he says, and why? Because this is how God created the world. So that's Nate at Colossians. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I've, I've made that yeah. joke like five times now. Yeah, I think yeah. you, uh, we should have uh, been saying You've never actually finished it yeah, to be able you. to give them. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't actually want to be getting emails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> big idea. Like, this is something we're working at. And yeah. so like, we're almost doing admin on air. So like, feel free to suggest for people who have maybe a little further ahead in this paradigm shift than we are. Yeah, we would love good. to hear from UCR Wiley. Or people who might disagree we're secure enough in our faith to welcome challenge. You know what I mean? Sure. So if you, if you disagree sure. with what we said or you think we were sloppy in our words or anything like that, feel free to comment because we are working this out. You know what yeah. I mean? So can I just answer one kind of quick objection and just, sure, it'll, sure. it'll be super fast because I can picture somebody going, they're listening this whole time and in the, in the back of their mind, they've been the whole time have been saying, what about Deborah? What about Deborah? <laughs> And I actually think, go and read that story. It's a glorious story of, of Deborah wanting to call Barak to his God-given duty and does everything that she can to restore him in his God-given mandate. And I think actually Deborah's a beautiful picture of complementarianism. So, or patriarchy. <laughs> Fair enough. Sorry, I just... Can I, I, go for sorry, it. I, yep. I got the, Just it, one more thing. Isn't, just it, one more isn't thing. it funny that Mary, mother of Jesus, is held up in scripture like... She's made very well of what makes her, she was a righteous woman who bore a son. And then the, pardon my French, the bastardization of that, that the Catholic Church is, is making her the deity almost. And it's like, isn't it funny how just Ooh. like the, the way scripture describes her is like what gives her the glory in that is that she was the mother of the, of the Lord. But then we've throughout history now deified her and put her in a role that's actually like different than what she was ever intended to be. It's just a, it's just a funny thing how it's like in scripture, it's like we celebrate the thing that God created her to do. Yeah. Good. 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 I just thought of that right now. Yeah. All right. We all good? All right. We're good. All right. We'll see you next time if you ever listen again. <laughs> <laughs>